that walk, that walk, that walk. Keep rolling, 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 rolling. Keep rolling, 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 rolling. Keep rolling, rolling. This is Walk and Roll Live. This is Walk and Roll Live. A podcast dedicated to the disabled community, sharing stories of courage and triumph, joy and discovery, and everyday successes and challenges. Now, here are your hosts, Doug Vincent and Eric Aguilar. Hello and welcome to Walk and Roll Live. I am Doug Vincent along with Eric Aguilar. I'm a polio survivor, crutch user for years and transitioned into a wheelchair user over the last 20 years or so. Eric? Good morning, guys. I'm Eric Aguilar. I have cerebral palsy on the right side of my body, which is known as hemiplegia, the mild to of cerebral palsy. I'm hard of hearing in my left ear and I'm a walking stick user. How you very doing good. there, Doug? Very good. Very good. Staying dry. Staying high and dry, I guess I should say, because it's been a lot of rain and i heard some reports out of lytle creek which is just above me it's like six inches uh, just since yesterday so yeah a lot of rain be safe out there and uh, before we get out of here today uh, eric's going to give us some tips on on uh, disaster preparedness as it relates to all this rain we're getting so that'll be uh, after we uh, hear from our guest today uh so i, I did want to say i got a, uh, some listener comments that came in one from bob from uh Ukaipa. Says he tuned in to Walk and Roll Live podcast. Such a refreshing perspective on life and disability. Love it. So thank you to Bob. We appreciate those kind words. If you'd like to send us some kind words or whatever words that you'd like to, just send it into uh, warlive at walkandrolllive.com or you can go to our website and there's a contact page and you can include them in there. That'd be fine. Or uh, a lot of times there's places for comments on wherever you listen to the podcast, which is on Spotify and iHeartRadio and iTunes and Podbean and Amazon Music and Stitcher. It just goes on and on and on and on. Pandora. I guess I heard not too long ago that Google Podcasts is uh, shutting down. They're not going to have uh, podcasts on Google anymore. Um, I don't know what that's all about. That's some corporate decision, but uh, plenty of other places to get us. We also have a page on YouTube as well. Just look for Walk and Roll Live. All right. Um, so how was your week? Well, my week's been doing pretty good. You know, I've been getting back into shape, you know, hitting the punching bag. I'm starting to get that, that spark in my belly back again. I've been, uh, studying for the, uh, Coast Guard Auxiliary, um, operations pin. In order for me to achieve that, I got to pass six exams online. I'm down to three and hopefully I'll be getting that soon. Part of my, uh, strategy is to get that pin by the next, uh, Coast Guard Auxiliary Fatilla meeting coming this month. And speaking of the auxiliary and flotilla i've been appointed to be the new member trainer for the united states coast guard auxiliary and among other things um even loma linda possibilities is giving me another uh, season to teach the emergency preparedness on zoom only this time people are going to have the option to attend the uh, 12 o'clock session during their lunch hour during the day or if they can't make it they can attend the uh, six to the five to six session in the evening after work and then it'll be hybrid where some people are at the location in person and others can attend online. So um, it's going to be a universal uh, project as we go. Well, first of all, uh, congratulations on the appointment. That's awesome. And uh, wow, sounds like things are happening for Eric. Furthermore, I've been selected to attend this uh, district training meeting in Woodland on the 15th or the 17th of next month. They want me to attend the uh, Future Leadership Academy for the United States Coast Guard Auxiliary. And I was surprised as anybody because I haven't been selected or nominated for anything in a long time. Well, those are the sweet ones when you don't expect it and you get a nomination like that. That's awesome. That is awesome. 
Uh, pretty, uh, you know, typical week for me. We did uh, get a chance to go out to the the big car show that happens every year at the Fairplex in Pomona, California. It's the uh, Grand National Roadster Show, and these are just, I don't even have the words to describe. They are amazing cars. You know, they're art, really. A lot of them are, they never see the road. They're trailered in and they're trailered out. Uh, they really are works of art and just uh, in metalwork and paint and engineering and all of those things. Uh, and, and there's, I would I would have to say probably thousands of cars all total there. All the buildings at Fairplex, which they have some huge buildings there, are full. And then, you know, guys like you and I, if we have a hot rod, it's open to them. And then they park the cars around the grounds. And there's probably, you know, another thousand or so you know, just outside and everything imaginable, hot rods to low riders to, you know, off-road vehicles to you name it. There's something for everybody. Yeah. And then of course, all the, the vendors, the food even had a uh, celebrity sighting. Kurt Russell was there. Uh, you know, I, uh, we were just kind of meandering around checking things out. And Wait, golf- Kurt Russell? yeah. And, uh, this uh, golf cart pulls up and, and I didn't notice him at first. I just noticed that there was this, rush to the golf cart and everybody there was like the buzz going on so i'm like what's going on over there and i look at him and i and i can tell it was him from the you know his hair you know he's got that hair style and his gray hair uh, he, i didn't even have to see him from the front i'm like i think that's kurt russell turn around come around the, the front and yeah so i put a picture up of my social media but seemed like he was having a good time you know big smile on his face enjoying everything so it was great that was about it, you know, just staying in a bit because of the rain, uh, doing my typical volunteer work. Uh, we got rained on at the pantry, but I uh, didn't slow the people down. So I'm glad we we didn't, you know, give up and not go and say, oh, I can't make it this week. It's raining too hard because we had just about the same number of people during the rain as we do on a nice sunny day. So, you know, we're, we know we're fulfilling that need. So it's awesome. Feels good. I think that's about it. Uh, nothing else worth reporting. Uh, and then we have our, our guest today. We're going to talk with um, Sean Propakek and uh, David Mix with Anthesis. Um, they do work. Uh, they they uh, have programs and services for the intellectual and developmentally disabled community. And they they got funded. They got an increase. But then the government has put a hold on that increase. So they're looking for our help to kind of get the word out and maybe encourage you once you hear their story to talk to uh, the legislature and help them keep that that timeline intact for the funding funding increase and the rate increase. We'll we'll get into it uh, more right after this. In thirty seconds, uh, we'll be back after we find out a little bit more about UGYAR professional training. Right, Eric? Go ahead and take a coffee break, folks. We'll be right back. Introducing Agyar Professional Training, where we believe your greatest asset is your team. Investing in their development, knowledge, and happiness is crucial for the success and growth of your business. To reach new heights, you need to hire smart, talented individuals and empower them to work in their areas of strength and passion. At Agyar Professional Training, we're dedicated to helping your employees become happier, more productive and fulfilled because when your team thrives, your business thrives. We can help your workplace work better. 
We offer customized workshops and one-on-one coaching to help teams and leaders build trust and have better communication. We also offer strategic planning sessions, among other services. Elevate your team with Agyar Professional Training. So welcome back to another episode of Walk and Roll Live. And today, uh, this week's story, we begin with a look at Anthesis, a local organization in Southern California that provides programs and services to the intellectual and developmentally disabled community. Joining us today is CEO Sean. And Sean, I, I, I've talked about this a few times. I'm on the board and I just butcher your name. I don't know why I... Say it for me. Prokopek. Prokopek. It's not that difficult. I don't know why. (laughs) It really is not. I don't know why. And then also David Mix. uh, Sean is the CEO. Uh, David Mix is with us too. He's the development uh, director. Tell us, uh, first off, well, I don't know. Do we want to get into a little bit about what Anthesis is? Or do we want to jump into uh, kind of our topic today? Because there's some, um, I don't know if it's legislation. or it's It's a rate change that we want to uh, kind of get the word out to the public that we feel is very necessary for the organization. Correct. So I was going to speak a little bit about the history of um, how the, you know, services and community surrounding people with intellectual and developmental disabilities started. So I can start from there. Yeah, that'd be perfect. So, well, Let's start with first, and thesis started in 1966 with a group of um, parents who had adult children with um, disabilities. So whether it be Down syndrome, autism, cerebral palsy, they had adult children with um, disabilities and they wanted them more integrated and out in the community. And so they started the Pomona Valley Workshop. Um, And now here we are 66 years later and we offer community day programs day programs, um, vocational training, employment services, job coaching, a plethora of services throughout the community and within our own site. Um, And really what started this change in how we look um, at, you know, for many, many years, people with intellectual and developmental disabilities were locked away in institutions. I grew up in Minnesota and we had what was called a state hospital in my local town and people with you know, Down syndrome um, were, you know, shipped there and they were locked up there because their families didn't know how to care for them and there weren't the services. So in the time of the civil rights, um, the Lannerman Act of 1969 was passed, which said that people with disabilities and their families have a right to get services and support to live just like any person without disabilities. And so that really started a change and that's what created um, the idea of creating the regional centers. So here in San Bernardino County, we have the Inland Empire Regional Center. It's just really the Inland Regional Center. And in 1972, they had nine employees and 116 clients. Today they have almost 1,100 employees and over 50,000 clients. And clients are ranging from babies to, you know, 95 years old, receiving services um, to help them live a more inclusive and integrated life within the community. And this is all on a national level, right? 
Correct. Right. This is on a national level. Now it looks okay. different state to state, how they yep. receive the services. Here in California, there are regional centers in every county. LA has uh, four or five regional centers. Mm -hmm. um, San Bernardino just has the one um, and it serves San Bernardino and Riverside. So every county does it differently, but there are numerous regional centers all over um, the state. And they provide, um, you know, assessments determining what someone's disability is and whether they qualify for services through regional center. Zero to three is in the early start. So they're really trying to, you know, front load a parent and give them as much services as possible to help with the child's disability. And then most of the services, once they're school-aged, occur in the school system. And then once they graduate, anywhere from 18 to 22, then they're reconnected with services through the regional center that is vendored out through agencies like Enthesis. So agencies that are local to a, a parent or a family's residence, they can tour the facility, see which one feels more at home for them and make a decision where their adult child is going to receive services. Um, so that's kind of where it all started. Um, and it's obviously grown because, you know, our assessments and our ability to see that people have disabilities and we have the tools now to properly assess them and then provide them services so that they're more integrated and live a supportive and full life has really grown in how we look at people and people with differences. Can, um, can I ask something? And, uh -huh. John? Um, so in this population, there's got to be a, a kind of a, a spectrum of, of abilities. And mm -hmm. so there are maybe some consumers that have better decision-making processes and might be able to be a more independent than others. So, and I know now we have something called the person-centered thinking. So does all that play into kind of like how the funding gets to the end user? Correct. So every family meets with the regional center and makes decisions on what they need for services. So it could be transportation. They need door-to-door -door transportation. Another participant might be able to manage the bus system. We have a couple of people here who drive. So, and then um, others are able to work, but they just need some help getting, um, you know, building a resume, practicing interview skills. How to identify what my, they may not even know what they want to do for a job. So literally our staff will take them out to various businesses so they can look at what employees do at a restaurant, what they do at a retail store to give them some idea of what they could do for work and then help them um, in that application process, practicing the interview, how to dress, social cues, communication. And then when they obtain the job, providing job coaching. So a lot of our participants start with maybe 75% on-site job coaching. And then as they start building those normal supports that you and I have of you know, feeling comfortable asking your coworkers questions, feeling comfortable going to the supervisor, once those once our participants build those skills, the job coaching hours titrate down, usually to about 20%. So it's just a check-in every week just to make sure they're doing okay and feeling supported on the job. So this but, is all fluid from person to person. Correct. Right? Yeah. Because then you could have someone else who cannot work, um, especially our senior citizen population. And really our goal with our senior citizen population who are all residing in group homes, 
because their parents have died. They're not capable of living on their own. It's getting them out of the community, keeping them healthy, mobile, you know, walking, engaging in the community. So they're not just sitting on their couch, watching TV and living an inactive, sedentary life, right? Yeah. 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 So it's a wide range of um, services that we provide and it's determined person-centered. So what each person needs. Yeah. So the, this whole pool of funding, it funds all of those different aspects that you've Correct. Up to this point. Okay. All right. Correct. So it comes from the federal government down to the state and then to um, each county. And then we provide the services and then we bill the regional center who then reimburses us for those services. Um, And, you know, really since the Great Recession of 2007, 2008, This population, unlike children, and I worked for 30 years in the child welfare system, which is very well funded, this population of adults with disabilities has really been ignored and put on the back burner. So there have been rate freezes since 2008. Um, So, you know, and in 2008, the minimum wage was, you know, $7, I think, an hour. Mm -hmm. Um, So... In 2016, um, there was a big push in the legislature that this po- this community and these services need to be funded um, more in line with what it costs to provide the services. Um, and so um, in 2016, the governor uh, signed a bill to say, okay, let's do a rate study. Let's see what it costs these agencies to provide the services to pay their staff a minimum wage. Um, and so it took from the signing of that bill until 2021 to say, okay, it's legislation. And in 2022, we're going to start seeing an increase. And so this rate study determined what it would cost to pay staff at a salary of $16 an hour, which 16 is the rate right now for minimum wage. That's not even providing more than minimum wage. That's the base, you know, lowest that we could pay a staff. Mm -hmm. And our staff are making more than minimum wage. So this rate study, what they provided, does not cover our costs for providing these services. And it was a, um, so there was a rate increase. There's 100%, you know, there was an amount of money that the rate study was going to be. We were going to see 25% of it in April of 2022. 25% 25% in July of 2023. And then we were supposed to see the rest of it, the other 50% to make that rate increase whole in July of 2024. Now, did the first two goals, were they met? The first two goals were met, met. Okay. And now it was supposed to be 2024. But due to the you know recent um, budget shortfall, which is anywhere from 38 billion to 68 billion, depending on which finance uh, report you, you know, you read, um, the governor has decided to delay that rate study, uh, that final 50% until July 1st of 2025. So nobody is saying that we're not getting the money. They're just saying we're not getting the money yet. Right. They're going to delay it another year. And in the meantime, everything else is going up. Correct. In the meantime, everything else is going up. You know, when this rate study started, minimum wage was $10 in 2016. And so, and now we're at 16, which is what the rate study was based on was a $16 minimum wage. 
But minimum wage is someone, you know, no education, high school walking in the door. There's no taking into consideration that you need to give, you know, there's uh, inflation rate, raises for people who have stuck with us and retention, people who do come to us with degrees because they have a passion for helping this community. Um, So, And and another thing, if you don't mind, I might add is that a lot of responsibility, you know, and, and nothing against minimum wage workers that maybe working at one of our, you know, our fine culinary, you know, establishments uh, like McDonald's, but you know, you go home at the end of the day and you don't give it another thought about the French fries and the, and the hamburgers. You're, you're changing human beings lives in profound ways. And, and you know, that can weigh heavy on you and not to mention, you know, I, I, I know just from being a board member and a full transparency that the work that goes into that, you know, that there, there's, there's hard work behind that paperwork and all those things, responsibilities. And so for them to be making minimum wage is, yeah, it's unacceptable. Correct. I mean, yeah, our, our team is, besides supervising them all day and getting them to their programs, they're helping them identify what their goals are and how are they going to reach their goals. If they don't know how to get a job, if they don't know how to count money, they don't know how to ride the bus, and they're trying to learn some independence they're teaching them those skills. We recently started, we received a grant for teaching life skills of cooking. You would not believe how many of our participants that we serve have never cooked a meal in their life. They've never planned a meal. They've never gone to the grocery store and budgeted and purchased food before because many of them live at group homes where staff do that. And they're not allowed the independence that you and I are to plan what they want to eat and go purchase it and cook it. And so um, we've had over, we've had probably, I would say about 125 participants in the last six months take part in this culinary um, life skills teaching and they're loving it. It's so enlightening. So they're so enthusiastic. They're learning a new skill. Some of them at 50, 60 years old, learning to cook for the first time. Imagine living that and never being able to learn how to cook. And so it's been so fun and so exciting for our team. But these are things that our, our team has to be creative. They have to think outside of the box. How do we do this? How do I manage monitoring four people at a time and meeting all of their needs? They have to meet with parents. They have to meet with a regional center. They have to yearly create goals and the plan for what they're going to achieve this next year. So you're right. This is this is not a, you know, this isn't a <laughs> restaurant job where you go in, you do your work, serve some people and walk home. This is a very compassionate, you know, you need empathy and you take it home at night. Sometimes they're working on the weekend because events come up and they want the participants to participate. And so they're giving up their weekend to make sure that our participants can be sell their crafts at a, you know, the Upland Lemon Fest or, you know, the LA County Fair. They're really trying to give them, you know, experiences that you don't normally get if you're in this community. It must be particularly difficult for retention. You know, when you can't give them the wage that is commensurate to what they're, the effort they're putting in. Correct. This right. business has one of the highest turnover rates. Um, it's averaging 30 to 40%. 25% of staff in the Inland Empire who have this job have a second job because this job doesn't pay enough. Um, and so the 
In addition to that, in April, the minimum wage at restaurants is going up to $20 an hour. Mm -hmm. So while all of the agencies like Anthesis were very encouraged that July 1st, we're finally going to be able to pay our staff the raise that, you know, the, the salary that they deserve, that we believe will keep them here, keep them serving their participants and our groups. Um, this lack of rate study is going to, you know, it's going to halt us from being able to give that raise that we expected to give everyone July 1. Um, and most of us really were planning to give it April 1, eat the cost, because we don't want staff to leave us and go to the restaurant business. If you're making minimum wage or a little above minimum wage, and you can make a dollar more at the restaurant industry, you're going to do that because you need to feed your family. Yeah. You need to pay your rent. Just No matter how reasons. much compassion and how much you love this population, yeah. your basic needs have to be met, correct? Yes, absolutely. You know, and I think for minimum wage, uh, there's no real pushback from the public because you know, they feel like, yes, they deserve that money. And I, I feel the same here. You know, these, these folks deserve that money. We're not asking for too much at all. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So the, right now the grass, you know, the governor has made his recommendation that the rate study will not occur in July 1 of 2024. It will be um, delayed to July 1 of 2025. Um, and so there is great fear of what this is going to do to our community of provide of you know staff, and then also whether or not agencies like Anthesis can you know survive the lack of revenue for another year. Yeah. Um, most agencies like Anthesis run in the red. We rely on grants from foundations who believe in this work to fund that, you know, the loss that we um, usually see every year. Um, but that's, you know, that's not enough. Um, and it's not going to, um, it's not gonna be able to subsidize the loss once um, the lack of the study happens for an entire year. So there is fear about how many providers are going to either have to merge or go out of business and then we're in the situation again of lack of services for a growing community um, of people with disabilities. I know Dave, David can shoot some stats to you. I mean, he's so well versed in the yeah. um, you know the predictions of people with um, diagnosis of autism in the next you know decade. I don't know, David, you want to speak to that real quick? Yeah. <clears throat> um, since 2020, the diagnosis of autism has gone up by about 120% by the most conservative estimates. And so those people need to be served, right? Um, so if they enter the regional center system and we're going to be in compliance with the home and community-based settings rule, which basically means that we cannot institutionalize folks and keep them in segregated settings, then we need to support our direct support professionals, right? Um, there is one national estimate by ANCOR that says there's gonna be a need for about 8 million new direct support professionals by, by the year 2030. So if we're gonna meet the need and we're gonna maintain our compliance with HCVS and we're ultimately gonna do the right thing and ensure that we're desegregating a previously segregated society, then 
we have to support our DSPs. And I was going to ask that a little bit ago, and, and is you know, either one of you can speak to this. It must be incredibly frustrating that there's legislation that says that you have to serve this population, but then they don't fund you properly to do it. Yes. Out of the pocketbook, right? You yeah. know, I mean, yeah. we the legislators can pass whatever law they want, but they but then, you know, the balances of power have to ultimately approve a budget and so sean (laughs) so so let's go back to now now it's approved so the the, they've approved the rate hike but now they postponed it by recommendation from the governor how is that is it able to be overcame or can we overcome that is the legislature can do something to so that that is the hope. The hope mm-hmm. is that so the the push for this rate increase really came from legislators who believe in this. Many of them who have someone with an intellectual or development disability in their own family. So they understand this world and they understand the lack of services that have been. That's really how this got pushed. It's never come from the governor up top. It's really been the legislators who know someone in their own family, have a child, have a sibling who have pushed for this change. So there is hope that the legislators can um, continue to push, but no one believes that that's enough. The the hope is statewide, because I'm part of a, a Um, a California disabilities group that really represents all these agencies. We meet monthly to talk about, you know, legislation and services and who's doing what so that we can help each other learn and all improve our services. There's really a push for grassroots, for parents, for staff, for community members who believe in this work to reach out to their, their legislators to say, the rate study, the final push has to occur July 1. These agencies cannot wait another year. Um, this community of people need their services. They need to be integrated into communities. They need the support. Um, and so that's really what the hope is, that there'll be a grassroots effort to really push this in addition to the legislators. Um, and so that's really where the hope is right now. Um, there is going to be an early March, you know, there's a meeting at Sacramento and that's where a lot of um, meetings occur with key individuals from our industry. We'll meet with legislators to try and, you know, strategize about how to really force this issue, um, find money in another pot that we don't need. Um, you know, there's lots of work on that side up in Sacramento to try and find another way to, you know, for the governor to look at his budget differently and still fund us. So the good news is there's time to maybe affect some change through the system, the process. Correct, because yeah. the budget, this budget, current budget is through June 30th, and the governor usually makes his final budget in May. So there okay. is time to make some change. So, you know, we've sent documentation out to all of our staff members, asking them to reach out to the legislators. Our board members, we sent it to all of you. Um, we've given it to our the people that we serve, to their families, asking those that are living with their parents to reach out um, and also, you know, voice concern about the current recommendations for the budget. So how can we help in that effort? 
you know, here at Walk and Roll Live, is there a way that you can uh, make all of those materials that you made available to us, available to our listeners? And Sure. I mean, I can send you links. I'm not sure how you would get it out to everyone. Yeah. I mean, um, we have a website. We have... Uh, oh, okay. I have yeah, an email blast that I do. You know, I'll, I'll include it in there, definitely. You know, yeah, and, we, and I think what would be valuable, too, is I know this is self-serving, but to your constituency, if you could send a link out to this program, it would help people if they that that have a vested interest to hear how well you two have articulated this, and that might, you know, spur them to actually act once they they hear about it. So, great idea, Doug. Great yeah. idea. Yeah. <laughs> Don't forget to follow us on on social media, uh, yeah. Yeah. including our Facebook and our Instagram page, and we can make sure we get some links out there as well. And include this podcast. You know, and, and thesis and it has been there for a while is on our we have a resource page on our website, walkandrolllive.com. And thesis is on that. But if there's anything else, you know, uh, that you want us to to include on there for this, if there's some specific links, we're we're more than happy to do that. That's kind of what our whole thing is, you know, to be an advocate for uh the disabled community. And and if um if this is a good time, I'd like to hear a little bit more about David's uh, his uh, his experience, and I know he's uh, got one hat where he's the development director at Anthesis, but he's also a father of a child that uh, has some special needs. So, how's it been in the in the system? I guess the challenges is feeling the the sense of responsibility uh, to the community to to address that funding gap, if you will, so that we can maintain the very unique quality of services that we do maintain at Anthesis um, because we do make a great effort and priority of compensating our DSPs so that they'll stick with us and we can manage that turnover rate so that we can maintain our quality of programs. And for me, that is essential as a parent because from the earliest years of your child's life, you find yourself trying to compensate for the gaps in the system that exist between the educational system, the regional center system, and the medical care system. You might find yourself in a um, an IEP meeting where an uh, administrator at a school says, well, you need to go get a vision test. We don't have that here within the, the public school system. So who does that fall on? It falls on one of the parents, take a few hours off during the day, You've got to go get that vision test. Well, you find out of that vision test, you need two more tests, and then you're going to have to go to vision therapy for the next 10 weeks. Well, who does that fall on? What we did as a family is we tried to um, fundraise ourselves. We, we, we did GoFundMes. We did all sorts of stuff so that we could go to care.com so that we could keep our jobs and we could hire people to go drive our child to those individual appointments. Um, over the years, as you kind of work your way through the system, you find that that one service that someone is willing to fund kind of snowballs. Well, now you need occupational therapy. We don't offer that in the school. Well, now you need X, Y, or Z. And so you develop a whole budget around, around just trying to have your basic needs met, right? So um, studies, again, by ANCOR have shown that the average family pays out of pocket about $7,000 a year to to drive 
to, to make those errands happen, you know, to, to drive their child to, to have their basic needs met. Um, <clears throat> that doesn't even consider really the opportunity cost of not being able to work those hours, right? So that's a direct loss that is sustained by those families. So that's why direct support professionals are really so essential in our system. And it's really essential that we envision and create a system that has services that are much more scaffolded and braided so that these individual agencies, be education, regional centers, or medical services, support one another more effectively so that so that people can get what they need, right? But but for Anthesis in particular, our direct support professional play all those roles, right? Not only getting people out in the community, they can take take care and support in a wraparound way, people's wellness. And so when you take that that integration and that wellness component away from someone's life, because a d- direct support professional can't be funded, very challenging, right? So just in my own family, we, we have seen those people at care.com, we've seen those direct support professionals change over every two or three months. You know, it becomes a tremendous emotional, emotional, um, burden on the people supporting that child to have to start from scratch with a new direct support professional when the turnover rate is that high. And, and for the, for the personal, the person that is a consumer as, as they're sometimes called, but the person with this disability, you can imagine what that feeling is like. It's just like all the wind is sucked out of you when you've come to love, admire, look up to that direct support professional that has been, uh, fundamental component of your of your ability to be mobile in your world so i don't know if that i don't know if that helps but it's really the kind of compartment compartmentalization of our society and the way it functions between those three systems the educational system the medical care system and the regional center system and the fact that they don't always necessarily communicate or support one another our dsps not literally but sometimes figuratively work overtime give of themselves, you know, to, to try to bridge those gaps so that people's basic needs are met and we're ultimately moving towards a more inclusive society. Well, I, I would say right off the bat, yes, I think it helps. I think it, it puts a, a human uh, component to this instead of just hearing about, you know, most people may hear a clip on the news that there's this, this battle in the legislature, legislature to fund this, this, organization or this, you know, the system, but, you know, when you hear a story like that and how it impacts families, you know, and the person with a disability in particular, yeah, it makes it very real. So appreciate that. On a, on a deeper level, many families don't even utilize services because they anticipate the kinds of situation that I just described. Yeah. I've got to go to another that. appointment. I got to go another, I got to get back to work. (laughs) I've got to go to another IEP meeting. I've got to go to regional center. It took us um, as a family about five years to just get into the regional center system. Um, We felt passed off from the the homeschool, which was actually trying to pass us off to another district. So, you know, everybody's kind of playing hot potato with the person. It feels like, you know, you just feel like you're getting passed off. Um, in many cases, um, that's true in the in with your medical care as well. So 
the parent becomes the person just trying to hold all that together. And when you're a parent, just trying to hold yourself together, um, we haven't even really broached the challenges of what that feels like as a household um, to go through the process of recognizing the needs of someone within your household being atypical um, is something that you, that you that you come to terms term, come to terms with. And when you have a system that is not empowering you, it's actually kind of bouncing you around. It can be it can be a tremendous challenge. So yeah. so that's why our DSPs because they often have so much more training or experience than even uh, parents like myself. You look to those folks as kind of beacons of support and hope and experience um, in in your world. So this is something that uh, Eric is facing, right? Eric, he's he's not currently uh, a regional center participant, and, and he's looking to get back in. But you know, so you're you're painting a bleak picture a little bit. So we'll have to give him support, right, Eric? Right. You ready for the fight? I'm always ready for a fight. <laughs> I, hear, I hear that. I hear that. You gotta be to 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 get through this stuff. You gotta be fierce. So, yeah. but you also you also gotta have a big heart. Otherwise, you do more harm than good, right? So, and a support system. It sounds like you know your own just to to get there. Like you say, and it's it's hard enough to be a human being in this life and and uh, take care of your own life. You know, let alone have to fight that fight. Yeah. So. Anything else that you want to cover that we haven't so far? I would say as an organization with a mission for equity and mm -hmm. to empower those families that are off very often struggling to have their basic needs met, to hold themselves together. Um, organizations that are community-based that were started by parents like Anthesis are really important. Um, different organizations with different capacities in the system um, all play a role but as a smaller as a older community-based um, mid-sized organization the fact that we can really provide really responsive and dynamic programming to families means that um, we can make all the difference in their lives you know we've we've had parents we've had program participants come to us and say this is the first time I learned how to make a meal for myself. When you've inhabited those spaces in our society that are so segregated, to be able to feel valued because you have something that you can offer in an integrated setting, like we provided Anthesis, is really can really be transformative. And I, I think smaller organizations have a unique and dynamic ability to do that. We can go out in the community, we can create community partnerships, so many that we have in the last year um dozens literally where where folks can get out in the community participate in one of our learning labs develop a life skill that makes them feel empowered in a way that they haven't before can ultimately transition into a potential job skill and what holds this all together again is our direct support professionals right so we can only do so much uh, i can only write so many grants sean can only um advocate for so many reimbursements at the end of the day, it comes down to the people who have the boots on the ground that are walking folks like kids like my child to their next appointment and doing it with a big heart. You know, there's a, a conversation going on in the society at large, you know, now about being inclusive and all of that. And, and you know, there's an opportunity 
to help an organization and in all these organizations that strive for this, you know, just need to be funded so they can do the work. So if we're truly committed to that concept, then, you know, we need some more, we need some more soldiers in the battle. Right. Yeah. And I'd, I'd like to just add one more yeah. thing. You know, we went from institutionalizing, institutionalizing this community to now in, they're inclusive and working in the workforce. In the in 2023, we had um, over 610 businesses in the Inland Empire employing people with disabilities. And those people with disabilities made $24 million in wages. That reduces their reliance on you know, social security reduces their alliance on, you know, welfare and public social services. Um, it improves their self-esteem. You know, the places that our people are working, all these, these companies talk about how it's changed their work culture because people, their employees come to work and see our people working with a smile on their face, happy to come to work, and it changes the culture within a business. Um, and so if we don't have the funding for direct support professionals and we no longer can job coach, our people are not going to be able to work in the community. We're going to be back to relying on Social Security, back to relying on the welfare. We're going to, you know, we're going to turn back a tide that's really skyrocketed in the last two, three years. Um, and so this is really the fear that we have so many people who have made such great progress in becoming employable and self-sufficient and earning an income. And if they don't have the support out in the community, they're going to go back to being at the group home and not working and relying again on social services. So if we don't have the funding for this, then the funding is going to have to go into social services. So, yeah. um, you know, but the su supporting us means we're keeping DSPs working. We're keeping our community working. I mean, it's just such a, uh, you know, a more holistic and beautiful scenario. Mm -hmm. If you support our community and the work that we're doing. Well, it really feels like more of an investment. Correct. Yeah, There's not, the word, Doug, yeah, an investment. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Any, any, that, I mean, great last thought and we can end it there, but there's anything else that you, you, you want to say? We've got the, the time here. All right. Well, we'll, uh, like we say, we've got Anthesis on the, on the website, our website already, but we'll definitely, we'll talk after this is over. We'll get uh, some other links and we'll make sure we get them out there. So the people that are listening who want to get more information, they'll they'll be able to. So thank you, Sean and and David from Anthesis for joining us on Walk and Roll Live today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Victor deployed for the first time to Afghanistan in 2003. He sustained a moderate traumatic brain injury. One of the most important elements of caregiving is taking care of yourself. For many military veteran caregivers, their caregiving journey starts earlier in life and lasts longer. Visit aarp.org caregiving for a free military veteran's guide to navigate your caregiving journey and better care for your loved one and yourself. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hey guys, welcome back to Walk and Roll Live. I'm here with my buddy Doug. Man, that was a that was a really cool show. 
Now, back when they were talking about food, I'm only speaking from personal experience. I think uh, the main reason why people are learning to cook for the first time is, um, you know, I think um, they've never been uh, uh, taught, and uh, I think it's because half of the time they're very, they're they're sheltered by their uh, families and uh, whatnot. Yep, I, I I agree, absolutely. Um, uh, and, and it's tough for a loved one. You know, you want to take care of your your child or uh, whoever that person is, and you know, and and out of love, you may, you know, by taking care of them and cooking for them, you may not have taught them to cook one of those basic things that they've, you know, I, I guess they've demonstrated an antithesis that many, many people do have the ability to do that if they're given that opportunity, you know, so, um, but it's a coming from a place from of love, right? You can't really you know, fault them for that, but it's nice to know that that's one more step towards independence, whatever that looks like for each individual, right? Mm, right. Yeah, like yeah. Uh, when it comes to cooking, it's one of the most essential skills you'll need. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, rather than worrying about money, if you're not, if you don't know how to cook, how are you gonna uh, know how to know how to know how to uh, feed feed yourself and survive? Like, I didn't know how to cook personally until I was 19 years old, and I started off with microwave. I graduated to the stove, and now I'm wait yet to graduate from the stove to barbecuers and pizza ovens. Now you're practically a classic chef. Mm, I'll say about yes and no. I mean, I can do certain things, you know, like hamburgers, grilled cheese, hot dogs, the omelets, you know, basic stuff. Oh, you're making me hungry. <laughs> Very nice. All right. Well, uh, I-, I wanted to let everybody know that I'm working like I need one more thing to do, but I, I'm working on a newsletter and I've kind of got it together. So what I'll do, if you're on our mailing list, don't don't think, oh, no, here it comes. I'm going to get lots more mail. Uh, you know, I'll only send you the email once a week and I'll include the newsletter newsletter in that newsletter, um, in that email that I send out every week just to let you know that the new show is here. And you can uh, join our email list if you'd like. Just send us an email to warlive at walkandrolllive.com or you could go to our walkandrolllive.com website and fill out the contact form. Just let us know. Put, put in the subject, uh, subscribe. So we'll know you want to be put on the email list or just, you know, let me know. That's what you want to do. And um, also you can do it on the Facebook. Well, you don't want to do it on the Facebook page, but I do want to let you know that we do have a Facebook page. I don't think we talk about it uh, a lot here, but yes, it's also up there. Walk and roll live. You can like that. And then I put the uh, updates for the show and it's got a link to it on that. Make it nice and easy for you. Now, before we go, um, it, the weather is just crazy here in Southern California where we live. And uh, we always like to, uh, to give tips on disaster preparedness around here because we've got, you know, one of the premier teachers, Eric Aguilar with us. So what do you say in the, in the, in the, uh, face of maybe possible flooding, what can we do to protect ourselves? Well, as we prepare for future winter storms, it's important for people with uh, disabilities, older adults, family members, and caregivers to help prepare for potential power outages, flooding, and other impacts due to wind, rain, and snow. First, we got to check for uh, blown fuses or trip the circuits that may be the cause of loss of power. Also, um, see if your neighbor has power. This will help determine whether the source of the power outages is inside or outside the home. 
switch off um, all lights except for one. Like, for example, if you're down in your room or your kitchen, be sure to turn off the light to any way to help conser conserve electricity. And it'll help bring down the electrical bill a little bit, uh, believe it or not. And when it comes to electricity, it's a lot cheaper to do laundry uh, during the daytime than it is at night, especially after 4 o'clock. Also, you can help prevent uh, damage by unplugging computers, uh, stereos, and televisions, and other uh, large appliances that take up a lot of energy and uh, juice. Be sure to get updates regarding emergency conditions from a battery-powered radio. You know, one of those uh, weather radios that works by batteries, USB, or you crank it up. It has mm -hmm. like the flashlight and the uh, solar charge and all that really cool looking stuff. Keep a fully charged cell phone or a portable charger on hand during power outages. You may lose um, phone service and your cordless phone may lose um, power. Also, make sure you keep your refrigerator and freezer doors closed. It helps keep the food closed. And before you um, eat the food after the storm passes and the power is back on, be sure to check out the food for any kind of uh, spoilage. And then this next one may sound as uh, silly, but you'd be surprised. Never light fires or charcoal indoors to help uh, keep warm because it causes uh, dangerous fumes. And if you see a um, down power line, stay away. Don't mess with it. All right. All good information. Thank you very much, Mr. Mr. Aguilar. All right. Well, stay dry, stay high and dry, and have a have a good week, and we will talk to you next week right here on Walk and Roll Live. Thanks, sir. Take care, guys. Walk and Roll Live is heard around the world at walkandrolllive.com, Podbean, and Spotify. Like us at facebook.com slash walkandrolllive. You can email us at warlive at walkandrolllive.com with comments, observations, or whatever's on your mind. Whatever's on your mind. Have a topic you'd like to hear or a guest you think would be great for the show? Let us know. Look for new episodes every Tuesday afternoon. Thanks for listening.